When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I think that it's inevitable. By 2031, PJ, we will have a cashless society. He was out of it, like, and he kept complimenting me. I didn't even feel safe in my own city. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Call 96FM. I remember an emergency doctor, a very well known emergency doctor. No, not Chris Luke, another one. Uh, back in the day at Cork University Hospital, uh, saying to me in an interview, he said, if you give me an emergency department the size of Parky Cueve, there will still be trolleys in it. It's just the nature of the beast. But I see that big extension that they were talking about. That's going to go ahead. More CT facilities and uh, more space for the inevitable crowds that build up in the ED at Cork University Hospital. I was out there. As you know, I was out there myself um, a month and a bit ago. But what you didn't know is I was out there a second time uh, with my daughter, she got a, a bang on the head playing hockey and we were just going to see was she all right. But we were sitting there in a very, very busy ED with everyone doing their absolute best. But the one thing that you notice was desperate lack of space. They have all these pods which, which work. They're, they're not uncomfortable. It's boring, but they're not uncomfortable to sit there waiting to be seen. But they need more space but the one thing I do see in that report about there being a new extension is they don't seem to be interested in taking on any more staff. And the one thing that I noticed that particular night when I was sitting in the ED waiting for uh, my daughter to be seen was, crikey, they could do with a few more nurses and they could do with a few more doctors because there were a couple of nurses going around that night. They were brilliant. They were fabulous. They were so attentive to everybody, but there just wasn't enough of them. Anyway, I just see that in the news this morning. I thought it was uh, just worth saying before we move on with the business of the morning. And indeed, if you have anything you want to say about it, uh, more space at the ED, absolutely necessary. Uh, More staff would be great too, but I don't think we're going to get them. Little bit later, do you remember last month? Was it last month? I think it was. The Rev Group, these people who organised brilliant 
teenage discos, they, they were pleading with people not to do this video sharing or photo sharing or shaming, rather, of anything that goes on at, at teenage discos. It's an interesting follow-up today. There's now been a call for a complete ban on teenage discos under a certain age because of sexual assault. This incredible statistic has come out which said that the number of sexual assaults goes up during the seasons of teenage disco time. So if you've more teenage discos, you've more sexual assaults been reported afterwards. And there's a call now for a ban on certain discos because the punters are just too young. And also, we'll be coming up to what? We're only 35, 34 days away from Christmas, which means we're less than 40 days away from the new year. We'll make all those resolutions. I'll be talking to someone who's already made a resolution. Only positive friends, thank you, in 2024. Only positive people in 2024. I can see all of the great advantages to that, but... I'd worry a bit about surrounding yourself with too much positivity too. 0818 96 96 96. But I want to touch base, first of all, uh, with a court case. I do remember the morning this story broke. We were sitting here talking about it. There was something going on over in the Balifahan area. And a road had been even cordoned off by the fire brigade. And we had no idea what was going on, although we understood there was an assault involved and that was as much as we knew at that stage it had its um, its end yesterday at Cork Circuit Criminal Court where a man called John Paul Carey was jailed for 10 years for a cowardly and unprovoked chemical attack on a man called Francis Costello and Francis Costello subsequently lost his left eye as a result of that attack. His brothers were also injured on the night. Paul Byrne of Virgin Media News was reporting on it, and here's his report from last evening. As well as the physical scars, the brothers have to cope with ongoing flashbacks. I suffer nightmares. I check the door every night before I go to bed to make sure it's double locked. I dream, I, I have dreams and nightmares with him in it. The Costello brothers were at their home in Ballyfehan in Cork when John Paul Carey called on the 4th of March last year. The court heard there was acrimony between Francis Costello and John Paul Carey over a woman known to both of them. Carey, without warning, threw caustic soda into Francis Costello's face. The pain that I was in, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. If I had to relive this, that pain again, I'd rather be killed instantly. 40-year-old Mr Costello lost his left eye due to the attack. The burning in my face, my eyes and my head were getting more severe by the second. I didn't know what was happening. Roy and John Costello came to their brother's assistance. They too received extensive burns from the liquid used to clear blocked drains. Garthy told the court when they arrested Carey, he was of little assistance to the investigation. And at one stage he asked, was Francis Costello still a handsome man? I have no words for John Paul Carey. It's inhumane what he did. You wouldn't do it to an animal. 
36-year-old Carey, with an address in Cork, pleaded guilty to two counts of assault as well as one count of assault causing harm. Up to today, John Paul Carey had 99 previous convictions and on the night he attacked the three brothers, he was on a suspended sentence for the armed robbery of a post office. Imposing sentence today, Judge James McCourt said the attack on Francis Costello was premeditated and cowardly and all three men, he said, were assaulted in the sanctuary of their own home. The appropriate sentence in this case, he said, is one of nine and a half years. The three brothers said they've been to hell and back, but thanked the Gardaí, as well as their friends and family, for the support. Big case there at Cork Circuit Criminal Court. Thanks to Paul for the use of that Virgin Media report. Um, you'd, you'd be thinking, wouldn't you, of, of uh, Francis and his brothers. Imagine that happens and you have to go on the rest of your life without without one of your eyes. It's the most awful thing to happen to anyone. It was three weeks in hospital and the doctors there did everything they could to try to save the eye but in the end they had to remove it 0818969696 come back to courts and sentencing a little bit later on that's a fine hefty sentence and well deserved as they say a fine hefty sentence for that but he's 99 he now has 101 convictions as this fella John Paul Carey we'd hope now that he wouldn't be getting out after four years like he do the full, the full 10. 0818 96 96 96. Come back to something we touched on last week. It was a video that was going around of a sulky race up around the Croom bypass. But these sulky races are happening every weekend. And a lot of people now speaking up because it's time to move on them. It's time to move on the organisers. It's time to make sure that these things are stopped if we can stop them. Shona, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you, you? Good. You saw this video that was going around the last couple of weeks. I did. I did. And it was utter... It was shameful. The level of disrespect that was shown to road users and, more importantly, to the Gardaí. Yeah. Two squads trying to stop them, PJ. And still, nothing. Yeah. They still insisted on running those very young horses on. Yeah. You you own horses, so you'd be able to tell whether a horse is distressed or not, were they? Well, they looked, they looked extremely young to me to be pounding on a road uh, like that, at that speed, at that level of speed, is, is utterly shameful, and shame on them. Uh, they have no interest in the horses. They have all that they're interested, to me, PJ, is just the money aspect of it. Yeah. I shudder to think what way their joints uh, would be because a young horse, they're, they're, the joints wouldn't even be fused at that stage. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's cr- like asking a toddler to run a race that an 18-year-old should be running. Mm. There's the cruelty to the animals and then there's the danger to other road users. And, and, and unfortunately, the guards can only do what they can do Absolutely, yeah, and that's so sad. And I don't know how many times, PJ, that I'm after emailing in the Minister um, of Agriculture in relation to us, and still nothing. It's just uh, the total... It's like they're just turning a blind eye to it. Mm -hmm. It's a level of incompetency that is shown by the government here. Uh, I don't know how many times... 
Uh, welfare charities have addressed the issue. I mean, this is going on and on and on, PJ. How many times have we yeah. seen those oh, those videos? I remember a notorious one out the Mallow Road one Sunday a few years That's ago. Right. Was even bigger than this one. Yeah, yeah. And a day, there was no. I mean, if something happened that day to a road user. There's a thing. There's a thing. Carnage. Somebody else was on at me last week asking that very question, Shona. Do we have to wait until some innocent road user mm-hmm. is badly injured or worse? And I think that's what that could, that could very well happen, PJ. That could very well happen. And the sad reality of it is, if it happened to be a relation to somebody in government, I'm telling you like that. Legislation would be changed. We yeah. wouldn't have to do anything. It would be changed overnight. Yeah. It's, it's even questionable, and and I don't know what the law is on running those carts on a. Public They're not allowed on the on the yeah. motorways. Yeah, yeah. They're not allowed on the motorways. And the I mean, I couldn't see... take I couldn't take my horse now and go for a hack down the no. down the the main motorway. You no, not You wouldn't get a hundred yards. Not at all. The, the no. solution would seem to be wait until this race is over and round them up and arrest them. Yeah, and that's what should have been done. And I bet you none of them were arrested. They have to be arrested, and I bet you none of those horses were chipped. It's it's absolutely shocking that you have to have a dog chipped and have a license for a dog, PJ. Mm-hmm. But these guys, I guarantee you, those horses would not be chipped. Mm-hmm. And they'd have no paperwork whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, they would have, well, I think should have happened. They should have been pulled in. They should have been arrested. And the horses confiscated. Handed them over to the lovely good charity like uh, the MLHR that they can be legal. Horse Rescue, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, And heavily fined, PJ. When I say heavily fined, I mean heavily fined. Yeah. That it hits the pocket hard. Yeah. The other person who was on it's me last week, Shona, thanks, Fergal has reminded me, it was Tiffany Quinn from Animal Law Ireland who made that point about whether it needs to be that something serious has to happen. She said there yeah. are suitable laws already in place. It's just a matter of manpower and resources. And again, going back to that video we're talking about from yeah. crew, like two squad cars. So what's in that? Six guards and that crowd? So yeah. there's nothing you yeah. can do. No, I mean, uh, you could have... I mean, they'd be putting themselves in harm's way. It would be highly dangerous, you know? Yeah. It's just ever, ever so sad. It's just one of many, many things. We're supposed to be a country of animal lovers, and yet the legislation, uh, you know, it's... Yes, there is a few, uh, you know, as, as Tiffany pointed out, there are laws there, but they're not being implemented. Yeah, there's another group actually advocating here, and I've spoke to John O'Callaghan from Dog, Dog Advocacy Ireland, which is a relatively new group. Uh, he's quoted in the Examiner in the last couple of days, uh, saying that it's a miracle nobody has been killed. There are three or four of these races happening every weekend on major roads. The risk to road users is enormous. The races are advertised on Facebook, so there's no reason why they can't be policed. It's not rocket science. And again, That's he is true. warning like Tiffany's yeah. warning and like you're saying, do we have to wait until someone, some innocent road user is badly injured or worse? Yeah, yeah. And I think, and isn't that sad, PJ, that, that that's what we're looking at? Yeah. Because I think that's what will have to happen. Yeah. 
some poor innocent person going about their everyday business and bang, you could turn the corner and you're bang straight into it. Yeah. Let alone the, 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 the poor horse that's distressed. Yeah. Because these guys don't care. You will go straight head on into it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no argument with yeah. there's no argument against what you're saying and no argument against what John is saying and no argument against what Tiffany is saying. These things have to be policed under the proper legislation or stopped and and at the end of these illegal races somebody lifted and heavily fined. Oh, absolutely. People. And made an example of if you hit the hit the focus, TJ. Yeah. That's it. It will start to curb things and the horses uh, confiscated. Absolutely, because it has to change because I don't know how many times, as I said to you just earlier, that I have emailed the minister and nothing, absolutely nothing. I actually forwarded on that um, that video to yeah. him. No comeback. Nothing. How come, um, this is probably a terribly silly question, Sean, how come it's the Minister for Agriculture, Mr McConnell Logue, that you're talking about here? Because he is the the gentleman responsible. He has the authority to go in and change legislation in relation to animal welfare okay. in Ireland. Okay. And he's not doing that. Okay, okay. I, I would have thought under that. roads policing you could do something, but perhaps you have to go to specific departments to do it. Yeah. Something has to happen anyway, because I don't want to be playing. Here's the thing, Shona, as you know, we keep stuff on tape these days for years. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be replaying a tape of our conversation oh, any time saying, isn't this yeah. what we warned of? Yeah, yeah. And that could very well, I mean, it's, it's, it's ever so sad that that just may be the case. Yeah. It's a horrible thing to say, but that could very well be the case. And whose, uh, whose hands does that fall in under then? people who did nothing about it and we don't mean the guards the guards are overpowered here they're, they're they can over- only do so much they can only do so much and you could see the level of disrespect that these guys had it was like you're annoying me can you the two of you guys can you just get out of our way we have things to do yeah. i mean if you remember the the bad one on the Mallow road that we talked about there like that's that, right that, there was yeah. that was a much bigger one and i think there was three squad cars on a motorbike they hadn't a hope what had you a no. dozen guards against a couple of hundred people in, involved yeah. in this and and use I think the way they use the cars around the horses is appalling. Oh yeah, they, they, it's again health and safety. Oh, that's out the window. They don't care. Yeah, they don't care. I mean, these the poor horses are just walloped on. Come on, go as fast as you can. Pound into the ground. How many times have there been been photographs of? of sulkies and they have been thrown at the side of the road left yeah. to die in agony and these guys are gone I nowhere to be found I have seen that, I actually saw a very yeah. very distressing picture it was such a distressing picture we didn't share it we got pictures in here a I summer saw. or two ago yeah. You, yeah. such yeah. distressing pictures we didn't, we didn't share them um, and it would make you so angry it PJ. Does. It does. I mean if these guys if they're advertising it on, uh, on Facebook, shut it down then yeah, we need to move in. We need to move in faster. Be prepared. Be yeah, prepared. absolutely. Because these guys, they know that if they get up early enough in the morning, they, the, the road is fine. Off we go. Or, or or they'll do as they normally would do. Uh, if, if somebody's on their scent, 
they'll just find another area. Shona, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Uh, points extremely well and clearly made. Appreciate it. Sulky Racing, it just has to be stopped. Simple as. Tiffany was saying the law is there. Um, it's just a matter of manpower and resources and will. So was John from Dog Advocacy Ireland suggesting we need tighter controls. 0818 96 Do you remember yesterday we had a good chat about religion in the council chamber? It started with Lorna Bogue of Green Left who objected to ecumenical prayers as part of a meeting last week and then it broadened out. Ted Tynan was on the phone talking about the prayer at the start of a council meeting which the prayers at the start of the Dáil, prayers at the start of the Shannon, prayers at the start of the US House of Representatives for goodness sake. But a lot of people want those removed and it broadens out and broadens out and broadens out. Going to talk to Mary about it next. 0818 Quark's 96FM wants to fill your Christmas with fun and play. The 10K Toy Giveaway is back. We're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for free. Free. Listen to Quark's 96FM all day long from Monday, November 27th. For your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. To win. No Christmas. I love Christmas. Merry Christmas. Quark's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With your local credit union helping you have a wonderful Christmas. Listen and win from next Monday. I can't stop winning. Only on Cork's 96FM. Back to the story of John Paul Carey getting 10 years for that awful assault on Francis Costello and his two brothers. Uh, 99 previous convictions and Frank says he already had a suspended for armed robbery. That's right, he committed that crime, that awful assault on the lads while he was out on a suspended sentence. Round robbery. Frank says, what the hell is wrong there? You'd have to agree. Brings us back to sentencing, so it does. And do you remember last week, Judge Tony Hunt, this was all over the newspapers, Judge Tony Hunt, who was the trial judge in the case of Joseph Pushka, the man convicted of the murder of Ashling Murphy, he said when he was handing down a life sentence that he would have considered a whole-of-life sentence, but he can't. And he would have imposed a minimum sentence but he can't. Now, we read in the papers today that the government is considering a change to those rules. But over the weekend, Leo Varadkar, then at this conference that Fine Gael had, said that if we want that kind of sentencing, we need to build more prisons. That's effectively what he said. Uh, Mick Clifford is writing about this in The Examiner and says, no, you don't need to build more prisons. Mick, good morning. Morning, PJ. What do you think? He he has a point, though, doesn't he? Our prisons are full as they are. So if we put more people in for longer sentences, we need more spaces. Yeah, you could argue that, PJ, but I think he's conflating a few things. I mean, he's suggesting that if we had laws, that by the way, the problem here is that the, the law that Tony Hunt, Judge Tony Hunt was referencing in terms of judges having uh, the power to give a minimum term to be served in a life sentence, he's absolutely right in that. And for Leo Varadkar to respond to that by saying, well, if we do that, we'll need to build more prisons. In the first instance, 10 years ago, 
the Law Reform Commission recommended exactly what the judge was calling for. The Law Reform Commission said the commission recommends that when an offender is convicted of murder and is therefore sentenced to life imprisonment, legislation should provide that the judge may recommend a minimum term to be served by the offender. Now, Leo Varadkar's party has been in government for the last 10 years and they've done absolutely nothing about that. And then in a very high profile trial, a judge very understandably points out that, you know, this this crime was so horrendous that if he had if he had the power, he would have possibly imposed a whole of life sentence or certainly given a very long minimum term to be served. Mm. And Leo's basically deflecting for that when he talks about building more prisons, because in reality, if you had that law in there, there's nothing really to suggest that an awful lot of people would be serving an awful lot longer sentence or that you would have more people going into prison. Mm. All it would mean is that you would have the appropriate sentence for the appropriate crime. Like, there's a life sentence for murder, but the circumstances and the severity of, of, of what the perpetrator has done and how he has acted, he, normally he, and with what intent all of that differs. So, like, for example, if Judge Tony Hunt had the power, perhaps, and I, I'm only speculating here, he might have said, well, this man should serve a minimum of 40 years in prison. But you could have somebody equally convicted for murder in very, very different circumstances. And I've come across a few of them where, you know, th- th- there might be an argument that it's touch and go, whether it's murder or manslaughter. It's a thin line, yeah. And I've been in cases like that too, Mick, so I'll go with you there, yeah. Yeah. 15 years. So that's kind of the reality. And to me, what Mr. Varadkar was doing is he was using the occasion of this to throw out an old trope, build more prisons, we're tough and law and order. And, you know, that old stuff, it has never worked before, but it still resonates with some people and therefore politically is going to try it. There is a feeling out there, though, Mick, whatever way you look at it, and it comes into me from my listeners morning after morning, there is a feeling out there that the the laws in this country are more suited to Joseph Pushka and his like than they are to Ashling Murphy and poor misfortunes like her. I, I understand there is that out there, uh, PJ, and do you know something? That isn't, didn't come out there yesterday or today. Yeah. You go back 10, 20, 30, 40 years and you will continually see that. That is entirely understandable from the point of view of an emotional reaction to some horrendous crimes. There's absolutely no question about that. But what I would suggest, and I know this isn't very practical in some senses, if you send somebody down and put them sitting inside in the court for any kind of a length of a period and you do it for example in the district court you see the type of individuals that come in there and the circumstances you go up to the circuit court you go up to the central criminal court which deals with the most horrendous crimes of all I'd be relatively confident that people who go in there and they see the, the, the whole of everything that goes on and they try to view it from a dispassionate but one in which there's a belief and a necessity for natural justice, particularly for victims, but also for perpetrators. I don't think people would come out with anywhere near the same opinions. I'll give you a very brief example. Mm -hmm. I know myself, I I don't so much in recent years, but for a long time I covered cases and, and, and cases that went on for a long period. And I can tell you that the impression I had of what I saw and what went on from sitting inside in, in the fullness of a criminal trial and the impression I get from reading what are totally understandably and have to be sort of extracts of what went on in there. 
they're very different altogether. And, and I think people need to take that into consideration. It's not a question of people being soft on crime or anything like that. But you need to take into consideration the fullness of what's going on. Mm. I, I would I would agree with you having done 12, 12 or 14 years in the courts myself, Mick. We don't hear everything. We only hear what is curatable and reportable. That, yes. That's, that's absolutely that's absolutely true. But still, even with that taken into account, a lot of people feel that sentencing is a bit soft. But come back to it. I think, let's talk about Tony Hunt for a second, because I never heard a judge in all my years being so outspoken. For example, using words like, there is evil in this room. Absolutely. And, and that, of course, is a reflection of the um, the severity of the crime. I mean, it was just really something... Uh, unspeakable to be honest with you PJ I found it hard at the times to engage with it because it was just so unspeakable that somebody would go out with the express intent of just killing a woman uh, in, in those circumstances it was really uh, it was quite unbelievable and as you say quite obviously the, the, the judge that he would make a comment like that obviously felt uh, the same thing. The, 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 and the other element to that, to be fair, and he's absolutely correct, he should have been able to put a, a minimum sentence. But I can tell you one thing, I would be very confident that that individual will not see the outside of a prison for at the very minimum 13, you could be talking about 40 years. Would you there think, are individuals. Mick, would you think? Oh, absolutely. Abs- well, I'll give you a few see, examples. I wouldn't, be confident, I wouldn't be confident there. I wouldn't be confident in that at all, Mick. Well, I'll give you a few examples. Malcolm MacArthur, his crimes were deemed to be really horrendous and he attempted to get out of prison a number of times. He was eventually released. It was 30 years he spent in prison. Uh, two men who were sentenced to for killing two Gardaí in 1980, uh, they got out after 33 years and they only got out then because a, a law had arisen in the European court and they were able to bring an action there. Sean Evans, two Englishmen who committed some horrendous crimes against, I think it was two women, around the mid-70s. Now, mm. the best of my recollection, one of them has since died and the other is still in prison. Like, the, make no mistake, on, on a more, on a, more a, a different level again, a man died there in prison last year, David Stanners. He, he was known by a nickname, I think you were pleased with the frog eyes. He was one of these lim, limerick uh, criminals. I, I remember actually it. covered yeah. his trial yeah. in in, 19, in 2003. Now he died after 20 years serving time for a prison or for a murder, a murder of Kieran Keane, another man who was involved in that. And at that point, there was no suggestion or expectation that he was due out in any time in the near future. So there's no question. People have an impression, I think, PJ, that you know these people get out in a very short period. If they do not, and the circumstances of the crime matter. The difference, if you give the judge the right to do that, he is the one who has sat there and seen up front the actual circumstances, and he would have a much better take mm-hmm. on the severity of what should be served. But I, I, I wouldn't be under the impression that simply because people, uh, some people might get out earlier, that that's the case for everybody okay. across okay. the board. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll bow to your experience there, mate, to be fair. Would you agree, like, we watched the Lucy Letby case here a couple of months ago from the UK. She got a whole life tariff. Lastly, would you think a whole life tariff should be on the cards for a judge to hand down? I think that's the thing that needs some debate because everything to do with sentencing in any capacity in this country has always done so with the uh, 
prospect, however dim and however distant, that somebody may come to the end of their sentence. Now, there's various reasons for doing that, not least management within the prisons, but it is something that is in other countries and it's something that very much I, I'd very much be in favour of there being an open, sober debate on the issue. Yeah. I, I wouldn't immediately come out and say, yes, PJ, it's one of these things that I think requires e- examination, but it's certainly something that should be on the table. All right. Thank you, Mick. Uh, as, as always, Mick Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner on the subject of uh, sentencing. Leo Radcar saying at the weekend or suggesting at the weekend at a Fine Gael conference that we might need more prisons if we are going to put people away for longer sentences. Mick, same nonsense. The Law Reform Commission has been calling for this for years and it hasn't been done. Just throw it out to the floor, as it were. First of all, do you think that Judge Hunt should have been able to say to Joseph Pushka, you shall serve no less than 30 years. Do you think that he should have been able to say to Joseph Pushka, you will never walk out of a prison again? You will spend your full life there. Do you think a whole life tariff should apply in this country? Or do you think that Judge Hunt should be available, or able to say to Joseph Pushka, you're going down, son, and you ain't getting out for at least 30 years? 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Big Drive Home. With Izzy Showbizzy. On Cork's 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. for more singing voice notes. Hello. Would you mind playing Dermot Kennedy and kiss me the way? More chances for you to win amazing prizes. Correct! Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you, I can't wait. I love Curtis House. I'm delighted. I'm laughing here away. I'm like, woohoo! <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And all of the best music, too. Join me weekdays from 4 pm. The Big Drive Home. With Clonacilty Food Company. Spikeball, tacos, pizza. Clonacilty Black Pudding is the making of any meal. So go on, be a rebel. Cooks 96 FM. 96 FM. Is it sentencing, John? Um, for example, should the judge have been able to commit him to prison for the rest of his life? Good morning. Uh, good morning, Peter. Yeah, 100%. Um, this shouldn't be a no-brainer. I mean, at the stroke of a pin, we have a person called the Minister of Justice. We have a teacher of this country, right, and it's honest. Um, this should be sorted over the judges. I mean, the judges are almost in no man's land at this stage. I mean, after 12 years, you can apply for parole. 19 years is probably the life sentence that you would be out after, right? Um, I would be with you on this one. Uh, for there is under the impression that Pushka will, will never come out like this. Well, he reckons it could be 30 years, and he, he cited examples of people who have been in for 30 years and more, you know? Yeah, but he went, he went back to the Brady Gargan and going down to the case there with Malcolm MacArthur. That's right, right. Yeah. Now, to me, Malcolm MacArthur should still be inside because he was never charged, as you know, following uh, the court cases. He was never charged with the murder of Donald Dunn to this day. And well, no yeah, prob- probably best not revisit that one. But you, he, the point that Mick was making was he, he served more than the average of, of the 19 or 20 years. Well, he, he actually made a comment, MacArthur himself, when he came out to a journalist, and he actually said 
that he felt he'd done too much time. The cheek didn't like he'd done too much time because he was watching what was happening with stuff that was being handed down yeah. while he was inside PHL and he reckoned that he, like, he'd done longer than a lot of these characters and they were left out so why was he incarcerated yeah. so long? Yeah. You know? I mean, it's amazing. But just, uh, just you're, you're making the point that the women of Ireland make, or sorry, John, are scared yeah. And that we need tougher sentencing. Yeah, we to need tougher that. sentencing. Like, like, I mean, if, if they tell them life it, it, it comes out in court, you go away for life. You die inside in prison, and that's the end of it. This guy has done huge damage to the, the, the confidence of the women of Ireland. And I see it even locally here. I can't think normally will run up where Ashley Murphy is to run anymore. But I see it here in the locker, I exercise going around. I can see the women now, especially when it gets dusk. There's always a handful of people running, PJ. But I can see the women now when they're coming towards you. And I can see the body language changing. I can see them tightening up. I can see they won't make eye contact. They'll speed up while they're pa- when they're passing your eyes. He has done tremendous damage to the confidence of the women of Ireland. And there needs to be a signal out there that the women of Ireland are to be protected. And I will ask any man out there, if you see any situation, I don't care how minute is. And if you think sus, sus, there's a suspect hanging around anywhere, whether it's playgrounds, whether it's around the locker, whether it's down the marina or whatever, if you have the sense that something is not right, watch, keep an eye out, mm-hmm. protect the women of, of Cork and protect the women of Ireland because they are predators out there. And it's not just characters coming in from abroad. We have the likes of Larry Murphy and we have all these other characters as well. So indeed, you, indeed. You are really in all these codes, so we're, we're not immune to having these, these, these people amongst us of You're our completely own. Right. I remember a conversation, John, I had a number of years ago. It's, it's at le- I think it's pre-pandemic with a remarkable, articulate, bright young lady. Her name was Holly. And we were talking about this, about, you know, young women, women of any age, but young women in particular, walking by night. And I said, if I'm out for a stroll and, and I'm coming 30, 40 yards up the road behind you, I'm harmless to you. I would no more lay a hand on you than, than anybody yeah. else would. Yeah. Well, how do you feel? She said, yeah. I hear the footstep and yeah. I start to tremble. That's the problem. I mean, I mean if I'm... If, he, if women out, are living like that, then well, we yeah. have a bigger problem than just Joseph Pushka. Oh, we have. But you see, this, this is the problem, PJ. Like, I mean, that's, you know, people now don't feel safe out there. We, we, we can revisit all the about not enough Gardaí industries and whatever, right? But the whole thing is that, like, the, the women out there at the moment, you know, they're, they're just so vulnerable now. This it has done huge damage to the confidence of the, and they're quite entitled to go out and jog or walk or wherever they want to own the locker, down the marina, wherever. But I mean, this, has done tremendous damage, I think. And look, something will have to be done because if people at least see that these characters are locked away for the rest of their natural life, it won't stop the next Pushka or the next Larry Murphy, like, but at least if they see there's a sentence down there, a pro, because you see, look, with Ashley Murphy, and you go back to Brady Gargan and Dorian Gunn, what has happened with, with all those people, and we'll concentrate on Ashley because she's the most recent one, PJ. Like yeah, her, her boyfriend, come home, my future husband, like I mean, was bereft. That poor boy is broken. Destroyed. That poor boy yeah, is destroyed. Completely. Destroyed. So not, not alone. Like I mean, did he extinguish her life? Right. 
he destroyed generations to come because they would have went on and had a family. Their family would have family. You go back to Brady Garden and Donald Dunrush, they would not be grandparents. So not only are you taking that person's life, but you're extinguishing future generations to come. And it's not good enough that you walk out after 12 and 18 years. You go away and you never come out. When you do come out, you come out in a box. Life should be life. Life should be life, and that's it. And it's, it's not rocket science. The other actor can make knee-jerk reactions and talk about we need more prisons and all and everything. Well, well make, make Clifford hits back there and says, we don't need more prisons. You seem to use the, one, the ones that we have better. Mick also makes another point, and, and I would have attended cases too, John, where you kind of say, all right, it's a murder conviction, but manslaughter might have been a better call. Jesus, you know, he deserves another chance kind of thing at some stage in his life. Yeah, but just even with the manslaughter, like, I mean, we've, we've all seen circumstances in cases that appeared, you followed enough for it, I followed enough for it. And like, that's still horrendous. You know what I mean? A person still has died. In true, it's true. It's true. A person has still died and even in man's... Oh, in, and man, and yeah. You're not coming back, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. John, I'll leave it there because I want to get to Mary. Thank you very much for that. Uh, 0818-969696. A different subject, but I know I want to get to talk to you before 10, Mary. Yesterday, chatting with Lorna Bogue about prayer and Ted Tynan and other people coming in about prayer in the council chamber and prayer in the, the Houses of Parliament or wherever. You have it. Uh, you for or against, Mary? Good morning. Um, I suppose I would be for it in so far as, you know, it's always been there that people, you know, it's throughout all religions, no matter what religion you are, that if you believe in a higher power or whatever, that you're kind of deemed more trustworthy, you think like that, you know, the Freemasons, for example, like are there for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they don't care what religion you are you must believe in something. In other words, I suppose, if it, I don't know, the theology maybe, you know, that if you believe that you will be held accountable for your actions at some point in time by a higher power or supreme yeah. being or whatever. You know, it's just, I don't think it does any harm. Like, they're playing, in some cases, like, you know, they're playing God for people's lives inside in those yeah. chambers. They're yeah. making decisions that seriously impact people's lives. And, you know, maybe kind of people that have beliefs and have kind of, I don't know, a code, you know, aside from their own personal, you know, integrity or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like if there is this belief system there that they have been brought up to believe, you know, that they have to act in a certain way or it will, you know, result in... Being accountable, I suppose, at some point in time. I really don't think it's any harm. And even when you're talking about the states there, on the back of every note in the states is, in God we trust. That's true. That's actually true. You're right. You know, that has not been changed. Like, you know, it's harking back to the people, the foundation of the, they were... In, in, as they would say in the states, God-fearing men or whatever, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But we, like, I don't think God is to be feared. Actually, I think that has changed down through the generations. That we're not kind of, you know, yeah, we don't have the same fear of the fires of hell or whatever and oh. all that kind of thing. And then, I, no, I, but I had another thought as well, Mary, with regard to people who have an issue with a prayer, say at the start of a meeting or or whatever, or a, a problem with the Angelus still being. On, on, t- on television and look call me old fashioned if you will but the Angelus lasts one minute put okay. the kettle on by the time you finish boiling the kettle the Angelus will be over if it bothers you that much 
You don't have exactly. to listen to it. You don't and, have you know, you see, to. Our and, prayer is a meeting. You don't have to listen. And in fairness, the Angelus, uh, you know, it has changed. Remember before, you used to have a picture of a stained glass window. Oh, God, I do, yeah. Or whatever. Like, Whereas now? now it's people just taking a pause yeah. from their daily life. Just And that does us all good. Even I, I've been reading actually a book on breathing at, the, at how important it is to breathe correctly. And would you believe that prayers across all religions are actually designed to make you breathe properly. Take a breathe, take a breath. Mary, thank you. 0818969696. There's a thing, though, with regard to a prayer at the start of a meeting or a prayer, the Angelus, for example. Or if you go to a meeting tonight, a community meeting, and someone wants to, to pray at the start, it's, it's, it's one minute, maybe even less. You know, uh, I, I just think, I don't know, maybe that's just me. 0818969696. Teddy is just out of prison and has sent us a, a lengthy message, which I will read after the news. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. That's a very interesting question, Mick. And I'm, I'm sure I knew when I was a young fella, but I have forgotten years ago. The 18 bongs or chimes of the Angelus, three threes and a nine. I I have long since forgotten why they're broken up that way or what they symbolize. But thanks for that. It's an interesting question, Mick, now that that they came up. 0818 96 96 96. Teddy was on. Teddy isn't long out of prison. And his message is quite long. Lads, could you maybe print it for me? Because it's one I want to read. In, in some detail, it's to do with Joseph Pushka and, and his sentencing and, and all of that. Maybe you could print that for me because uh, I want to go straight to our next topic of conversation to give it time to breathe as it were. Do you rent out your property for an Airbnb? Have you got a little place, little cabin, little place that you rent for Airbnb? There's pushback at the moment by a group called the Irish Self-Catering Federation against government plans for the future of self-catering in this country. And to, to explain it to me, I'm joined by Maureen Evoliku, who is the chair of the Irish Self-Catering Federation and also director of her own businesses. Moira, what is happening and why is it a problem? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Very well, thank um, you. Well, you could say there's pushback going for over 21 years because that's how long we've been around. The Irish Self-Catering Federation represents owners of uh, self-catering all over the country. And we are sit at the table with government, um, particularly in the last few years with COVID. And we uh, discuss um, the, the accommodation needs in, in the area. We have found we've had a very difficult few years where we were being told that we suddenly needed planning permission for our properties, which never needed planning permission before. And of course, we needed them at today's standards, <clears throat> not the standards at which, when they were built. Mm-hmm. So we've been in talks for over two years with the Department of Housing. 
you can join me the next time because it's like watching paint dry. Um, we go round and round and round discussing the same thing over and over again. Uh, they brought in a thing called rent pressure zones or RPZs in 2019. Um, they didn't allow in the RPZs for it was all to do with housing. And they uh, basically, if you were became in an RPZ area, you were automatically closed down or not entitled to continue with your self-catering or your Airbnb or your booking.com business really? any longer. Yeah. Because yeah. I'd, I'd be someone who likes now when I go away, well, for a night or two, you might go to a hotel. But if I'm going away for anything more than two days, I like to do the old self-catering and the last time we, we did it up the north for a couple of years and I remember going down to Kerry to, to Ballyhigh and sure there's loads of little houses and little flats down there that you can you, you can you can rent them out what, why yeah. did do you need special planning permission to let me do that um, well, with the rent pressure zones, they were brought in, of course, to deal with a Dublin problem inside the uh, M50 uh, in 2019. And during COVID, while we were all uh, busy behaving ourselves at home, what happened? These rent pressure zones were introduced to most a lot of the country. So in Cork, you've got rent pressure zones, uh, and I might leave out an area or two. You've got them in Cove, uh, Mallow, uh, McCroom, uh, where else? Uh, Kinsale. Yeah. And the Kinsale rent pressure zone goes down to the very beach at Seven Heads. Ah, so the holiday area, the holiday let area, or the leisure let, short let area, is affected by the rent pressure zone. Yes, yes, uh, yes, it is. Oh, I forgot Middleton. Uh, so it's it's affected by that. So, for example, they brought in rent pressure zones in Killarney uh, two years ago. So anybody in the Killarney area, if you're looking for self-catering accommodation in Killarney, there's much less of it there now. There is a certain amount of it who've managed to continue trading. Mm. But, uh, and it's damned expensive. It, that, that's why it's gone expensive. And I'm going to Dublin to a conference tomorrow and I'm getting the train up in the morning because I can't afford to stay overnight in Dublin any longer in a hotel. The price has gone crazy because there is a lack of other types of accommodation available. So there's a lack of hostels. Uh, there's a lack of self-catering. So, I mean, if, if I'm going up to Dublin for a few days, as I would do 10 years ago with my kids and going to a show or something like that, you can't do it now because the accommodation isn't there. Now, wasn't it so a it thing, though, Moira, effect. that we had, a di we had a problem where we had families living in hotels while yes. we had perfectly good apartments being rented out short term on Airbnb, literally walking distance from that hotel. And, and that doesn't look right. If a person is renting no. out short term on Airbnb and making, uh, making a nice wedge for it, and there's a family who could use that, that, that flat or whatever living in a hotel over the road. Something wrong about that? There is. There is. So what we are suggesting that in high-density areas, there should be a change of planning for anybody who's got short-term rental. So in other words, they have to have planning. That's in the middle of Dublin, in the middle of Cork, in the middle of, of Limerick. Okay. But not out in the rural areas. So in rural areas, just give everybody who's already working in a, a derogation for planning. So in other words, yes, you can work, continue doing this. And anybody new applying obviously applies for planning with the particular uh, short-term rental derogation and they say okay we want to we want to change some of those farm buildings into self-catering uh, we're going to apply for planning for it and in the hope that they're going to get it because in the last uh, two weeks 
uh, and I'm going outside Cork again, I'm sorry to say, okay. but in Kerry, somebody applied for planning for four glamping pods um, out on the Ring of Kerry somewhere. Um, he was granted planning permission, but somebody in a town in, in Kerry has complained and said it will ruin rural areas. In the same week, up in County Clare, somebody applied for, again, it was glamping rather than the, the traditional yeah. houses. Glamping is big now. Uh, it's big, it's really big, in near Dunbeg, on the edge of Dunbeg village. And again, they were turned down because it was on the edge of a village. So where can you put this type of accommodation? Because the reason the self-catering and Airbnb has gone very expensive is because there's less and less of it available because people have returned home to their families and they're remote working. Uh, older people... Uh, sold up or closed down during COVID and didn't reopen, who had such businesses. Um, so there's less of them. Yeah. Um, so there's an awful lot less of them in rural areas. So what I'm saying is we actually need more of this type of accommodation, but we need clear planning guidelines to allow it to be developed, as well as the existing ones to continue. Mm. You make an accusation, Moira, that the government, you believe anyway, the government is determined to close down small self-catering operators. Yes, I am. I am. It's a if strong accusation. Up, if you want to open up an apart hotel, you're very likely, you're quite likely to get the planning permission in, in there's a lot of them in Dublin, we haven't that many of them in uh, Cork so far. But in, in, in uh, for for individual small SME businesses who may have one to maybe three or four houses, they're they're they feel very isolated um and they are they can't afford the requirements for a separate planning permission for each one um uh i'll give you another example somebody at a meeting last week explained to me that she had two shepherd's huts in two separate fields because people liked to have their privacy again it was out in a rural area and the council told her she had to apply for two separate planning permissions now, like there's nonsense and there's nonsense, yeah. but like that, you know, that's crazy stuff altogether because we're entitled to be able to go on holidays at a reasonable rate. And there's a lack of accommodation all over the countryside. I mean, the Ring of Kerry, there's the only thing you'll find on the Ring of Kerry is accommodation is self-catering because all the hotels have gone to government contracts. And you know, um, East Cork is, is in a similar position. So, like, there has to be a balance. And mm -hmm. the whole balance is gone out of kilter. And it is not, the solution is not to close down self-catering properties in rural areas. Um, the solution is to have a balanced offering in tourism mm -hmm. all over Ireland. You know the way you said there about the rent pressure zones and, and the mm -hmm. self-catering accommodation, that certain areas you'd have an understanding how would you draw a border, say in Kinsale now, which is a very good example, where certain yeah. holiday areas and certain regular accommodation areas, for want of a better expression, where, where, how and where would you draw the border? Um, well, the thing is, Kinsale is known to be a tourism destination. Yeah. Right? So it's a, And so is Killarney. And if I was, if I, I'll be killed to hear now for saying this, but if I said Mallow wasn't considered to be a tourism destination. I think most people central... in Mallow would agree with you. It's not necessarily a place you go in your houses, right? It's nice no, and all. No, but... no. It's, it's lovely. It's lovely. And Donreal Park is out the road and the Mallow yeah. Castle is there. It's lovely. But it's not a tourism destination. So therefore, uh, you could name certain towns tourism destinations. Uh, 
But like that includes, so in other words, that would allow the existing units that are, might be there to be continue. And then uh, if more units need to be brought on stream, in other words, if people want to build them or convert buildings or something like that, but not necessarily take accommodation from the people who are already living there and who are entitled to live there. The last thing we want to be is like like Cornwall, which has denuded, villages are denuded of the local population because they've all been turned into uh, short-term rental. There has to be a balance. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, yeah, I understand. Yeah. I like, understand what you're coming at now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, like the town of Westport was designated a rent pressure zone uh, last June, and that meant that if you had self catering, which you could have had there for twenty, thirty, forty years, you suddenly had to apply for planning permission, and you weren't going to get it because it was in a rent pressure zone. I see. Now that's not acceptable or fair. I see. You know, so there has to be a balance. Uh, in in what is being done by government, and we're delighted that uh, at European level, a register for short term rental is coming into place. Yeah. Uh, it will be in before Christmas. It was agreed um, last Wednesday night at the, in the Parliament, and we were thrilled because we've been calling for this for two thousand since two thousand and seventeen, and this means that if you're any type of accommodation, be it um, a hotel, self catering, B and B. Uh, campsite, anywhere people can stay, it has to be on a register. You will have a registration number. I see. Falter Ireland will manage that um, as a national register and the information will be fed into European data. Great. But we have to sort out the planning issue and it's a completely separate issue. Isn't it a thing with planning um, in this country that it takes too long, it's too hard, it's too complicated and people just walk away and say, damn it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, it, it, it's, it's like you're looking at, if you're looking at planning, you're looking at about three and a half thousand for planning. And then they might tell you you have to uh, give a local services payment. Um, and it might mean something like even putting a pathway down to the middle of the local village or something like that. So there's all sorts of things to do with planning. We like we need planning to get sorted so that people can manage to build houses. If somebody wants to convert an outhouse or uh, old farm buildings or put in a glamping site or something like that, they should be if I have an easy way of getting permission to do that. All right. All right. Myra, thank you very much. Maureen Ivorico, the chair of the Irish Self-Catering Federation and has wonderful businesses down in uh, Dunmanus. Beautiful Dunmanus. Thank you, Moira. It's a thing, isn't it? We had a pushback a few years ago that in the midst of a housing crisis with so much Airbnb in the country. Moira's okay with that. Like There should be no reason why you'd have a big profitable Airbnb in the middle of a city when you have a housing crisis, but down in holiday areas where there's a rent pressure zone applied, they now need to get planning permission. They won't get it. So, so many people are just walking away from accommodation and the accommodation business. Anne is saying, sure, people can't even stay in Blarney now because of the lack of accommodation. We need all the solutions we can get to support the small businesses. Yeah, I'd say accommodation is in very short supply in Blarney these days. Uh, there, there used to be the big hotel Blarney out the road. That's gone. Isn't that long gone, Tis? And Christie's is no longer... Uh, there's no longer accommodation in Christie's. Is there? If I may be wrong there. I know there's a hotel in the middle of the square there, by the square, the Blarney Castle Hotel. That still has a small number of rooms. But there's a very small number, very, very small 
um, tourist accommodation actually in Blarney itself. Good point, Anne. Thanks. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Back to law and order and crime and punishment and how safe or unsafe it is, particularly for women to walk around. Stephen, you feel at risk. You're a bloke. Morning. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely do. I, um, I like. I grew up in the north in the seventies. Yeah, and I, I would walk then and run at night, and I felt no fear in the eighties, seventies, and eighties. But uh, they were difficult times in the north. Oh, yeah, shocking to say the least. But, Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I felt it was safer then. I worked in Cork, so we did from about 1998 up until I retired. And I used to walk to car parks, everything at night. And I can tell you, I was scared. And I'm a man, I think. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it was just scary. You started to watch. You could feel... Um, the sort of the fear round, uh, uh, you know, single people walking, meet a group of men, mm-hmm. and you're sort of we're going to cross over, and you would see the women do it, and then uh, you know you occasionally got jostled, so you started to do it, or I would do it, uh, you know, and it's just not safe. Like I just wouldn't go out at night, Ooh, really, you know. and walk. No, Thank and like I, the only place I walk at night is Drimmer League right. because I know the town it's nice and uh, our village really but it's nice and small people know me but I wouldn't go anywhere else yeah. anymore yeah. no nope. and, and do you feel that takes away one of the simple pleasures of life Stephen? well it it does I think it takes it away especially in the summer time yeah. um, but in the winter time you, you just wouldn't really go Summertime, you would go if you're going with family or meeting people. Yeah, I think. Would you feel safer when it's light? Some like it's bright. Yeah, oh yes, you you do feel safer when it's bright because there's more people out, and you know you can just assess the situation quicker. Yeah. Whereas right. you know when it's dark, like I wouldn't go into Bantry at night. Yeah. I'd certainly not go into Cork City, and I use I used to. Yeah, but I wouldn't anymore, and I think I just think whole respect for people and law and order has gone yeah. completely. You were saying we don't punish criminals hard enough. Well, I think that if you commit a crime, there should be a minimum sentence applied. You know this. Uh, they, if you killed somebody. You never get out. Never get out. If you drink and drive and you kill somebody, you never get out. Because to me, that's just the same. Because you're premeditated. You're getting into a car and you have an accident. You know, that's just the way I've always felt. I was, you know, I I respected my parents for uh, 
all the time. Mm-hmm. But when I was, you know, growing up and I'd left home, I never called, I would call him dad. Uh, really? It was sir, and then he would say son, and then it was dad. Yeah. You know, it's the same I called with guards. I call them, off, well, I call them officer even here, unfortunately. <laughs> but that's just habit. Yeah, I know. I know. And judges, you know, it's your honour. Um, I just think, I, from the middle 70s onward, respect was not taught in schools as much. Mm. It's not taught in the house enough. And it is not evident. I think even in the in the in the Doyle and in politics for simple things, you know, like I disagree with certain things, but I could be called a right wing fascist. Yeah. And and it's just my view. I you know, I, I have to respect theirs. Yeah. So they should just say, Yeah, but that's your point of view. And yeah. I think we've lost that. Completely. Yeah. yeah. It's it, it yeah. I, I I'd be completely in agreement with you there, Stephen. We have lost the ability to have a simple difference. Two people can hold. I, my my dearest friend is the Kerryman, and who spent thirty uh-huh. thirty odd years in in the states. He's home now. But the two of us would argue about two flies going up a wall. Yeah, but it'll never make a difference to our friendship. But no. I think that's gone out of society, Stephen. Do you? Oh, oh I, I really do. I think that, you know, when I goes back to the home and the school, and, and actually I would say the, the church as well, there was a lot of respect. There was a lot of fear, unfortunately. Yes, and, that, and that, that's a line needing to be crossed. Respect is, respect is there, but when it becomes fear, we've gone too far. Yes. I, I, and I think it has. I would not, not at the minute, use public transport. Do you know? Because you're on your own. You don't really know, you know, especially at night, I yeah. wouldn't get on a bus. Would you not? No. I'd like to drive myself uh, with my wife or grandkids, but I'm not keen on anything like uh, that anymore. You know, I witnessed too many fights going to and from one work, sorry, and um, so many times. And I, you know, the guys were not um, punished, really. They got a slap on the wrist, and there you'd see them a week later. Mm. You know, now that, that's just wrong to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would take the the bus quite frequently um, by both day and night um, and, and I, I I would always, I admit that, I would always try to find a, a seat on my own I love those single seats towards the front of the bus but they're generally gone and I'd be worried yeah. about sitting next to someone that looked a bit off like Yeah, oh absolutely I always, and this goes probably back to the 70s and the 80s, get on a bus beside an escape route <laughs> if you understand when you went into a pub you were either at the escape door the fire door 
right at the front so you could hide yeah. or go into the toilet. Do you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's actually, a, so, I'm, I'm, it's actually a slightly sad conversation that we're having here this morning, Stephen. Given well, that you grew up in the North at the time of the Troubles and you would feel... you. <laughs> Am I saying that you feel you felt safer then? I I I did. Good I Lord. did. I feel that then you could walk to school during the day and back. I I did from about seven to eight years old. It was about two miles there and back. Would you ever let a child walk? And it was a big, wide, safe road with footpath because yeah. people obeyed the speed limits. People respected, if you fell, if I fell, somebody would stop and help you up. But yeah. you wouldn't get that now. Yeah. Because, you know, we're, we're afraid, you know, um, if you have, a, and a, if you see somebody have an accident and you go and help them and you do maybe do something wrong, you're likely to get sued. And I think that's it. You know, the kindness is gone. Now, Cork people are very good and very kind and very willing to stop and help. Like, would yeah. if, if you saw someone stumbling in the street, would you go to help them open now? I do. You do? Yeah. I, ho- I open doors. I hold doors open. I call, uh, you know, if I would meet your wife, she'd be madam. Yeah. You know, until I'm introduced properly, you'd be sir. Yeah, well... You know, thing, things like that, they bring you comfort. Yeah. You know, not, not oh, you, next. <laughs> and I, I got that. Uh, I had that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Funny, actually, here's a thing that comes up from time to time. Uh, my, my, my kids have friends, obviously, in their 20s. And if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When they come and I meet them first, they call me Mr. Coogan or they call me Sir. Yeah. And I always stop them. I said, do not call me Mr. Coogan. My father was Mr. Coogan. My name is PJ. But you believe in that level of respect that you should call me Mr. Coogan first, do you? Yeah, I'd, you know, if I met you and you were introduced, I'd say, hello, Mr. Coogan. Oh unless you say PJ, you've got to call me PJ. Oh, my goodness. You know, It's uh, very old school thinking, but I didn't think he was still there. Uh, well, I, I, I just... 65 this weekend. You're only young. Well, happy birthday, sir. You're only young now. Only young, but my children are 35 and 40. (laughs) Oh, I know. Stephen, I have really really enjoyed this. Someone someone just said to me here in my ear, maybe back in the day when you were growing up during the time of the Troubles, the the violence wasn't as random or as, as, you know... Yeah, I, I would... I actually agree with unprovoked that. as it was now. You could predict nearly what if something was wrong because the, the seats would be empty. And you'd know where not to go and you'd know where not yeah. to go there. Yeah, and I think the problem is now you don't know where basically where is safe because it could just just appear. Yeah. Okay. Stephen, thank you so much. Really appreciate our conversation this morning. First time caller, do call again, you make an awful lot of sense. 0818 96 96 96. I'm reminded actually of the first time I was ever in Derry. I was at a match, at a Cork City match in Derry. And I was back doing interviews after the game and I was, we're only a short enough old distance from the hotel. And I said, it was a nice night and I'd enjoyed the match. And I'd had a pint in the clubhouse afterwards and done my bit of work. And I was wandering out the, the gates of the Brandywell and the, the security guard says, right, son, where are you off to? And I said, I'm going to walk back to the hotel. He said, what hotel are you staying in? I told him, you're not walking, pal. You're not walking. I'll call you a taxi. Are you all right? You will not. You will not. Hail a taxi. I'll get you a taxi. I'll get you back safely to your hotel. There are places you do not you do not go, and times that you do not go there. Now that's in the nineties, would it be, or maybe the very early noughties? But Stephen making that point, he grew up in the north during the troubles. There were places you didn't go, and times you didn't go there. But otherwise, he feels he was safer then than he is in Cork now. That's. That's one of the most interesting calls I've taken in a long time. I've been holding off on this message for a little while. It goes back to Joseph Pushka and prisons and jail and all of that. Teddy says, I'm only out of prison myself for theft. They're saying there's not enough prisons in Cork. How come they close the old one instead of doing it up and using it? The government has no interest in building more prison spaces. It's electioneering. I think it's different for some types of criminals who commit unimaginable crimes, but others should be given a chance. Other people will go on to be useful members of society and do good things. 
maybe even great things. Joseph Pushka will have the best of it inside in prison, and many other prisons won't, criminals won't. They serve in really harsh conditions. It's an anomaly. It's like the worse the crime you do, the more you're looked after. I'll say one thing. He will never, ever get out of jail. He'll also be in trouble on the inside. They won't leave him alone. That's the interesting one about that. You reckon, Teddy, I know it's not your real name, but I do appreciate you calling us. Uh, he will never get out, you believe, Joseph Pushka. Well, there's a lot of people would would welcome knowing that for sure. Thank you. Uh, where else? Oh, I need to gather my thoughts. Here we go. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Quartz 96 FM wants to fill your Christmas with fun and play. The 10K Toy Giveaway is back. We're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for free. Free. Listen to Quartz 96 FM all day long from Monday, November 27th. For your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. To win. You know Christmas. I love Christmas. Merry Christmas. Quartz 96 FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With your local credit union helping you have a wonderful Christmas. Listen and win from next Monday. I can't stop winning. Only on Cork's 96 FM. On Joseph Pushka, why aren't foreign people that commit a crime here sent back to where they came from for their prison sentence? Keep the prisons free for our own prisoners. We need tougher sentencing and zero tolerance. Crime has the biggest impact on our society and a knock-on effect on health and housing, etc. Get the crime sorted in this country, please, says Rachel. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming in like that. And I'll come back to them. And a few more responses to the Airbnb story as well about how people are getting out of the business because of the whole changes in planning. It's just making it impossible. They have to go for planning. They won't get it and they're out of business. I'll come back to that. But the I remember this last month, Rev, who organised teenage discos, brilliant ones, around the city and county and up and down the country too, they had to issue a social media alert last month on people taking pictures and videos and then sharing them. And they were asking parents and guardians to please advise your teenagers when you're going to these discos that to do that now or even to think about doing it is a crime to share videos that you take without people's consent at a disco is a crime and you could be in serious trouble for it. Now the teenage discos are back in the news again because there's a group that would like to ban them uh, for under a certain age. This came up at the Oireachtas Justice Committee where they are discussing new legislation on the sale of alcohol. Uh, Paula Leonard is national lead for the Irish Community Action on Alcohol Network, and she joins me. Paula, that would be a fairly strong thing to do, to ban discos for, say, the under-16s. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Um, well, it's not. we're not saying ban them for under-16s. We're saying to government very clearly it's time to take some time out. You have the sale of alcohol bill, which we're being told now will move quite quickly at the beginning of next year. 
Um, that will bring an increase in the number of hours that people can sell alcohol. It will bring an increase in the number of licenses, so the number of venues. Um, it will be easier to get a license. Um, these are the things that have been making headlines. But what we're really particularly concerned about in the Irish Community Action Alcohol Network and in Alcohol Forum is the impact that uh alcohol licensing at the moment is having on children. So, for example, uh, there are large-scale discos in lots of provincial towns all over the country. Um, they started out back in 2004, 2005 on mm. licensed premises. Um, and what we would have seen is that the numbers of these have grown, the size of these have grown, and unfortunately, the age at which people were attending them has come down. Yeah. So it's coming down all the time. You're referencing events here in Cork, for example. Absolutely. So, for example, you know, a number of years ago at a, one of these teenage discos in Cork, um, the emergency department from Cork Hospital, University Hospital, reported that they had to set up a veritable field hospital outside of one of these venues simply because there were so many young people who were intoxicated to such a degree that they required medical intervention. So what we're saying is, you know, I'm not suggesting necessarily that we ban them, but I am saying that we have very good child children first legislation in this country and that children first legislation should be applied to the operation of these events so for example it was announced yesterday that in january of next year the government is going to bring forward provisions of the sale of alcohol bill that will prohibit young people seeing um you know alcohol ads on tv and broadcast media and all of that before nine o'clock a watershed but yet it's okay for 11 and 12-year-old kids to be at large-scale discos on licensed premises where alcohol is ordinarily sold, where there is alcohol advertising heavily within the venues, where there are bars, although they may be only selling minerals at the time, alcohol is visible. But there's the thing, Paula, if the bar is closed and if the alcohol is not for sale, where's the problem? The problem that we are hearing from guards, that we're hearing from parents, that we're hearing from sexual assault treatment units operated by the HSE, is that there is a lot of alcohol and high-risk drinking happening before these discos. Um, What's happening in most areas is that children have to travel long distances by bus to get to the big town where they're happening. So, for example, you know, in um, Donegal, people will be traveling distances of over an hour. They may be getting on a bus sober, but by the time they've travelled the hour to Letterkenny, they're highly intoxicated, not getting into the venue Mm. um, and are rambling around the streets, highly intoxicated for the three hours that the event is on. Or you're suggesting Um, maybe going down toward some place down in West Cork they've been on a bus for an hour, two hours they're drinking on the bus. Absolutely. That's that's not the fault of the organiser of the disco Paula, I'd have to argue. Well, if you think about children first, children first says that the, the care and the protection of children is everybody's responsibility. So if you are running an event for children, it is your responsibility to have a safety plan, to have a child safeguarding plan, to have child protection um, training for your staff, mm. that you would have child to adult ratio, that you would have a rational approach to how you were going to manage and safeguard children. So I'm not saying that the venues are the only people responsible. The people who are operating buses are responsible. The Shiacon is responsible. The health services are responsible. The parents are responsible. But at the end of the day, government is responsible for the legislation that has allowed this loophole 
um, which has facilitated the development of these very large scale discos. So what parents are saying to us is actually we're really worried about this because pester power, young you know, young kids are saying to them, look, everybody else is going, mummy. And they're 11 years of age. Attending a, attending an adult venue with up to two and a half thousand children, most of whom they may not know, where there are highly, highly sexualized environments and young people are being assaulted. Young people mm-hmm. are intoxicated. We're being told that drugs are being sold in the toilets of these venues. Are they supervised? Are the staff yeah. fit to? Have they had the training to take care of them? You know, this is not a good picture for children. No, but I would be arguing, I'm reading Coleman Nocter, of whom you'll have heard in the Examiner today. Yeah. And one of the things he says, it's not your job to be your your, your child's best friend. I, I would think that if there are 11, and I'm sorry now I'm going to say this, and I'll be unpopular for it, if there are 11 and 12 year olds at events like that, then it's the parents' fault. Okay, so you could argue, and absolutely, and you know, the the role of parents is protected in the Irish constitution and it's very well defined and I absolutely agree with you but this is about the shared responsibility for children. If we believed that it was only parents' job to take care of children, we wouldn't have social work services and we wouldn't interfere in family life when children are at risk. Children are at risk attending these events. They are at risk attending these events and government has an opportunity with the sale of alcohol bill and Minister Helen McAtee has an opportunity with the sale of alcohol bill to close the loophole that has allowed these events to be so large and has allowed a downward trend in terms of the age of the children attending them. Because when they started back in 2003 and four, when Michael McDougall brought forward the legislation that allowed them to happen and allowed children to be on a licensed premises when their parents aren't present. So he did that to protect, you know, one particular premises that was going to be subject to a prosecution for running these events. I think that was probably well-meaning. So Paula, put it into a form of words for me then. What do you think would be uh, something Helen McEntee would do? Put it into a simple form of words that my listeners would would get. it's It's really clear. What they need to do is they need to ensure that the provisions of child protection legislation in this country are applied in the sale of alcohol bill to the operation of underage events where children are allowed to be on a licensed premises without their parents. So that would require them in very straightforward terms to ensure a different child to adult ratio. So if I wanted to set up a a youth club tomorrow morning and I used to be a youth worker, I would have to have, uh, you know, set down numbers of adult volunteers and adult staff that were qualified to work with young people present. At the moment, we have bouncers and we have bar staff and I have no problem with them, but their training is in relation to, you know, the safe serving of alcohol to 18 years and over. So we need to see what number of children are allowed to be at them, what age of children are allowed to be at them, what child safeguarding is in place, what training is in place for any staff who are working on the nights of these events, and what the plan is if children arrive intoxicated at these venues, who is going to take responsibility for them. So with that, I think that government is negligent in its duty to protect children in Ireland. Okay, I'll leave it there and people can make of it what they will. Paul and Leonard of the Alcohol Forum Ireland and uh, National League Irish Community Action on Alcohol Network. Thank you. Leaving it there for no reason other than time. Teenage discos, have they got out of hand? Is it time to clamp down on them and use alcohol legislation to do it? Are they completely out of hand? 
Paula and her team seem to think that they are. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96FM. Bit of a heavy duty all morning we've had since 9 o'clock. So we're going to try and have a bit of a laugh now with, uh, and I don't know how long it is. Wait a while. Now. I'll try and tell you. I'll try and tell you. It is 40 days. Yeah, 40 days to the new year or thereabouts. Right? So, um, with new year resolutions, would you drop friends that aren't positive? That's what Mary Jane intends to do um, and has already started doing, I think, if I'm... Uh, reading her notes correctly in front of me here. But before we get to that, um, do you remember on the 31st of October, we were talking to Sarah Toomey about her boy, Matthew. um, And she was very distressed and he was very distressed in CUH. And uh, her partner, Milan, was very unwell in hospital after surgery. Well, we are delighted to see her Facebook post yesterday um, that miracles do happen. 26 days later, he's like a new man. This is Milan. Strong, determined and stubborn as feck, she she. I have a house full of them. Time for TLC and lots of rest for Daddy Bear who's been to hell and back. Toads emote, she she. We're glad to hear that. Delighted to hear that because if you remember the interview and it's there on our podcast if you want to go back and look for it. Um, Milan and Matthew have a very special relationship and with him so sick and in hospital that just made things even more stressful for Matthew at the time so absolutely delighted to um, to hear that last night right if something or someone doesn't make you happy throw them out the door for 2024 and when you get to a certain point in your life you're old enough to not give two hoots or after 40, you don't give a... You know what I mean. Mary Jane, how are you, girl? I'm good, I'm Don't good, tell PJ, me you're 40. You? Don't tell me you're 40. <laughs> I'm going to be 45 my next birthday. So I always think um, I always think November is always a good month for me for a bit of reflection because my birthday is quite early in the year. Mm. And you know the way people talk a lot about having trips around the sun or whatever. So this time of year, and you know, I'm always, I try not to do the whole resolution thing because it usually ends up me saying that I'll, I'll go off the crisps. Can't do it. I, I, I'll go off the wine. Can't do it. <laughs> so I did dry January and COVID happened. So I, I, the resolutions are kind of really, I think they're a bit worn out now at this stage. And I'm over the age of codding myself about those kind of things. But one of the things I think um, that um, I wasn't great for it when I was younger, but I've got better at as I've got older is kind of advocating for myself. And my own happiness, yeah. and um, I'd be—I I call myself now a reformed people pleaser. I would have been a massive pe- people pleaser if you had said to me, "Oh, look, we can't do this. Can you drive to the studio for a three-minute slot?" I would have been there 
in two minutes. You know, if I had to get a helicopter, you know, I would have done it. Um, and I kind of stopped doing that because I realized I was putting enormous pressure on myself mm. um, and doing things that weren't making me happy. Um you know, like in not necessarily in business, because in, in, in a work environment, you know, you're always good. You, there's always things that you have to do that maybe you don't want to do or whatever. But I think just from a personal perspective, like personally for me, um, I just kind of made a decision that 24 out the door. So anybody that makes me feel bad about myself or that guilts me into doing things that I don't want to do, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. and that is just a decision that I've I, I've made. And I, I was chatting to a friend of mine, she turned 40 recently, and I said, really, truly and honestly, once you hit 40, the level, your your tolerance level for everything, like massively reduces, but your inner peace, I think, scales up. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's true for everybody, but I think a lot of my friendship group that I've been talking to recently we're all of the same kind of opinion because we're all of similar ages. Now, I do have friends that are in their 30s and I have friends that are in their 50s and mm-hmm. 60s. But I think for me on a personal level, 24 out the door is kind of the way that I'm looking at it. So even things that I do to myself. So it's not even about friends or family or anything like that. It's it's about it's just even about like habits that don't serve me like. anymore. Um. Like one of the things would be the ki- would be the kind of people pleasing or going to things that I don't want to go to. Like you know, because you're friends with somebody for twenty five years, but you know that their sister is a witch and she's going to be there making stabs at you all night. Like I'm not going. I'm not putting myself out into that environment anymore, or I'm not allowing myself to make arrangements with people that consistently cancel and let me down. Mm. So, you know, the way, you know, obviously your schedule is kind of like mine. We're busy, right? Mm -hmm. And I I don't necessarily like the glorification of busy, but my downtime, so the time that I spend to go out for a drink or out for a glass of wine or out for dinner is kind of precious and I don't get to, to do it a lot. And I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of good friends. So, you know, people that kind of consistently let you down and, you know, at the last minute or, mm-hmm. you know, give give up, give the excuses. Now, they're perfectly entitled to do that. But when some when you notice a pattern of somebody doing that consistently to you, then you kind of have to say, OK, that person isn't a friend or they're not, you know, mm-hmm. or else, you know, have the conversation before you cut them off. Um, but, you know, it is about well, kind would of. Would you do that? Would you have like that, that conversation? Would you say to someone, look, come here to me now. Come here to me now, Susan. You have, I've tried to arrange lunch with you six times in the last three months and you've cancelled every time. Do you really not want to go? Is that it? That's it. And it's it's not, men will have those conversations. Women skirt around it a little bit more because they think, oh God, you know, maybe she's hormonal. Maybe the kids are sick. You know, there's own, but then there is a point where you kind of start thinking, God, you know, this isn't making me feel good about myself. She's constantly cancelling. And, you know, for me, it might be that I might be bringing them to something. You know, I might be bringing them to a night out or I might be bringing them to a launch or something. And then I end up going on my own like an Egypt, you know, that sort of way. Yeah. So those kind of things. And I know that life happens and stuff like that. And the other thing that uh, that really bothers me is people that are not punctual. I'm not. I'm not getting involved anymore with people that are not punctual. Uh, I I now give people. How are we friends then? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, Beach, in fairness, where you know they, well, that's a long, that's a long-standing friendship. <laughs> but you know, just people that aren't that aren't punctual. I kind of feel like ten minutes. Okay, listen, on my way, or you know, whatever. Yeah. Traffic's bad. It happens to me as well. But I, I always try and be punctual. So I'm trying to kind of relieve the little bits of stress um, uh, and things like that. And like there are loads of things that I, I would have done um, that wouldn't, you know, necessarily make me happy. I would have gone to things. Um, and now I'm just I'm, I've discovered in the last couple of months, I'm just saying no to lots of things. Like I'm saying, you know, that doesn't really fit my doesn't work brand or it doesn't fit my yeah it doesn't work for me mm. you know being yeah. uncomfortable I mean somebody asked me recently to go and play around the golf like I, I, I couldn't stand out more in a golf course if I tried so I was just like look you know thanks very much but I really don't think that's my thing <laughs> golf there's not there's not enough energy in it for me or something I don't know. but like but you know those kind of yeah. things where I before I would have come back to the organising of stuff Mary Jane and who organises yeah. what you know Queen Bee has this thing that uh, are you always the one or am I always the one is one if there are two people in a friendship is one always the one doing the organising if there is there's something wrong yeah, definitely. I would agree. Um, I think that there's like, so, you know, my best friend, Michelle, right? Mm. And like she and I would do, she's a bit of a control freak about things. So if we were going for a weekend away, I'd let her do the organizing. I'd give the input, but I'd let her do the organization part of it. She'll get it right. Because, because she'll get it right, first of all. And second of all, uh, it, it saves me getting 700 texts you know, about what are we doing or where, what's that or what's the time schedule and whatever. Whereas I, you know, so from that perspective, yes. But then I messaged her yesterday, we're going to a launch tomorrow evening. And I said to her, why don't we go for dinner afterwards and have a catch up? And she was like, oh, great idea. So, you know, I've where I've organized us to go to lunch and then we're going to go for dinner afterwards. But then if she's at the moment organizing a group of us to go away for a weekend. So she's kind of in the thick of that. So I think that's kind of a good balance. Mm. But if you're the person always initiating the contact with the person or trying to always suggest or trying what I what I found as well in recent years, um, with certain people is that I was trying to kind of mould myself around what they were comfortable with, thus making myself a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm comfortable in most situations, but, you know, I, and I just think that's really very, um, very difficult. And 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 trying to put yourself into a, a like when you're around peg, trying to put yourself into that square hole sometimes, it just doesn't make you happy. And now I know why people kind of chill out in their 40s and stuff and, and, and they seem way more relaxed and they, I think, maybe seem less anxious and stuff like that. And that that is exactly why, because we're, you know, we're not built to be machines and to be to be always the person, mm. you know, propping other people up and making sure that everyone else is OK and making sure that you're the person that does the arrangements and that Queen Bee is absolutely right in that regard. Um, if you're the person that's constantly making the dinner arrangements or the, you know, arrangements for the round of golf or whatever it is that you do mm. with your group of friends, then, you know, you're, there is a, an element of being taken for granted. Mm. Um, I, I definitely think so. So I think anything, I, so I'm just, I'm making a really conscious decision now to just say, look, I can't do it. Or I don't want, you know, like sometimes I just say to people, I don't want to do it. 
We are afraid of you. You talk about being, being a people pleaser and you know in, in this line of work and in the line of work you do involved yeah. in events and publicity and all that kind of thing there is this kind of, and I think in general there is this kind of belief that if I refuse something I'll be thought bad of and I wouldn't want to be thought bad of so you know what I'll do it I don't really want to do it but I'll do it because do you know what I mean? Yeah Oh, a hundred percent. And and the other side of it is as well is that when you're when you're naturally when you're in that arena and you're naturally a people pleaser, and you want to help people, you know. But then is that to, is that to the detriment of your own personal time? Is that to the detriment of your own kind of mental health? And I'm not talking about being absolutely bullishly selfish because you know there's no joy in that for me either definitely mm. not mm. I'd much rather kind of say God I'll show my face somewhere for half an hour and have take the car you know which I've done numerous times mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks take the car with me show my face or whatever because you know that it may you know the person's delighted to see you and you're delighted you know they're delighted that you came or whatever and you're delighted then that they're delighted and you you kind of feel god like I, I saw people there maybe that I hadn't seen in a while and I yeah. got to catch up and it was great so it's not about being becoming a hermit or like but I do think like things and it's even the habits like I'm going to knock coffee I think on the head in 20 <laughs> No, 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 I no, don't no, drink no. an awful lot of it. I'm going to keep this do... recording. Right. right. I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you why now, PJ, right? Coffee. Or maybe just going out for coffee. I'll tell you why, because giving up breathing, one of the Mary things Jean. I find, one of the things I find, and I don't drink a lot of coffee, but when I have it, yeah. I I always have a croissant. Like if I stop off to get a takeaway <laughs> coffee, I'll always get a croissant or I'll always get a snack bar. And, you know, that's a habit for oh, me. So it's I the gateway drug like. It's the gateway, yeah. It's like it's like ha- it's like if you have ten pints, are you going to have a breast and a bun afterwards? Maybe you know what I mean. It, yeah. It's quite, so one of the things I'm going to try and do is cut down on my coffee consumption. So it's even just the habits. Twenty four out the door, people pleasing, or you know, um, yeah. or, or or the other thing then that I that I was kind of a bit obsessed with for a while because I I spend so much time on social media, is having like a bit of an Instagram perfect house, you know. <sighs> complaining like when the cushions aren't straight and all this kind of stuff then I realised like I'm actually the the only person that sees it or whatever or yeah. do, do you get where I'm coming from like or you know obviously do you, um, do, you do you do this and I I I think you know Queen, Queen Bee has finally stopped doing it and I'm glad she has because it was one of the things we used to fight about would you start cleaning up a kitchen floor mopping a floor at half eleven at night? Uh, I wouldn't. I used to, but I can't anymore because I've got cats now. You've and got cats. Oh, well, dancing you around go. it. Well, there you go, right? Would yeah. The, uh, it's kind of, yes, the house is a home. It doesn't always need to be like a show house in our book. Yeah, I know. If it's in... I know. It's in. Do you know? We'll fix yeah. it tomorrow. I- I'm I'm getting new storage at the moment in my house. You know, I'm getting a, a, a more wardrobes and stuff like that because just the sheer amount of stuff and things and whatever. And I'm going to try and put a little bit of a spending ban on myself as well really? for clothes and all that kind. Of, yeah, because I'm realizing that I'm becoming a real consumer. Like I'm, cons- you know, I'm saying, oh my god, I need to have the bag, the shoes, and I never used to be like that. And so it's a habit that I've fallen into. So those kind of things. Um, I'm going to be more like I used to be before. I used to buy one good thing. Yeah. 
And now I'm kind of buying three kind of mediocre things. So I'm going to go back into that buying one good thing. Um, because I, particularly where the house is concerned and things like that. Um, so I'm just trying to let go of some of the bad habits and mm. and things. And I've had a massive, <laughs> the last couple of days I've been thinking about all the stuff that I should, that I, you know, that I, that I promised myself that I do last year that I kind of didn't do this year. Um, and then the other thing is I'm letting go of the massive self-critique of myself because mm-hmm. I'm constantly at that carry on. And I think most people are. And I think in our job, in our kind of industry, you know, you're always massively critical of yourself. Like I would never listen back to a podcast or uh, I'd never watch myself back on telly or I'd never listen to myself back on the radio. But I think in 2024, I'm going to start doing that now to try and improve my form and all that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I'm going to stop being so critical of myself. And you're going to stop dealing with people that are negative. I am absolutely stopping the negativity and you know what I found myself doing in the last I'd say six months is when there's a negative thing I'm just stopping it and I've stopped engaging a lot of the time with negative people on social media because I was only fighting with them um and you know you you lay with a pig and you just you both get dirty so it's just I'm trying to kind of I'm trying to let go of negativity and just make my life a bit lighter Mm-hmm. Take joy from the little things. There's plenty. Yes. In, in, yes. in the darkest day, there's joy from something. Seek the joy. A hundred percent, there is. And I've been reading lots of um, lots of books about the Japanese way of living and stuff like that. And they have this really kind of um, lovely way of thinking that, like, they never give up work, they never really retire, but they just find something in their later years that they love doing. And I think that's maybe where I'm at. Maybe that's the book <laughs> that changed my life. It's called Ishigi, I think. Um, or yeah, I can't remember what the name of it is. I'll 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 tweet it on to you. But um, it was just a book that I read. I'd say last year, and it's just it's just starting to sink into me now. It's just the joy, and you know we had that whole thing during the pandemic with Marie Kondo and get rid of all the stuff. So maybe I'm just having the epiphany, and I'm just a late developer, well, like you, I've always been. You know, you mentioned <laughs> the, the pandemic, and for. The first definitely two years, I finished up every Friday and sometimes every day here when I was signing off the show, I said, remember to take joy from tiny things. I think we, if we, you know, as you get older in life, as you sort of settle down yourself into being who you are and knowing who you are, taking joy from the tiniest thing. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be the stupidest thing in the world or everything else, but you take joy from it. Oh, definitely, definitely, and and my friends always laugh at me because they say, "God, the it's the weirdest little things that make you happy." You know, I'm not I'm not particularly materialistic or anything like that. Um, even though I love like I love the glamour and all that yeah. kind of side of it, but um, I love experiences. Like I love going for like I would happily spend my retirement going for dinner and a glass of wine. Or going for walks in nice places and things like that. That that to me. And even if I won the lotto, I don't think it would change yeah. my life. Now maybe I'd be walking in, you know, Tokyo or <laughs> and Milan the next week. But you know, I'd, I I think I would. I think it's just something that I, I think when you get older and you get into the I don't know what stage in life I'm at. Is it summer, or autumn, kind Google, of maybe autumn? Who cares? Middle age. You're yeah. at today. You're at today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, tomorrow's promised to, yeah. to none of us. Do you know? Yeah. And and you know what, that is something as well that is, you know, so apparent. And I think that has, I've lost a couple of family members and a few friends 
you know, to various, I mean, age and different things over um, the last while. And and definitely that does make you reset and think, God almighty, you know, I'm here, I'm alive. And aging is such a privilege. Now, at the age you are, you're very young, you'll probably live to be 110. The way medical oh God, science is not. going. Do you? Oh, God, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, a, bit, no. I'm a bit older than I, you now. I'm not going to say what age I am, but I certainly yeah. hope... To, I, I, I certainly want to hit three figures. Do you know? I yeah, do. I don't know what I... I don't oh, know what do I to. want to be 100. Um, oh, well, God, no. I, I, said I, I do I, if I, I'm healthy. No, no, I, I said it to my daughter many times. I said, you know what? I intend to live until I'm such... I, I intend to live to be old enough to be a complete pain in the ass. In which case, she said, Dad, you can die For now. sure you're doing that. Exactly. You're doing that now. <laughs> Listen, leave you go, Mary Jane. You've given us plenty to think about. Thanks a million. Bye. See you. Bye bye. <clears throat> Have you changed your outlook though as you get a little bit older? Like she's saying, don't bother about pleasing people. There's no need to everyone be pleased. Do you know what? There are some people that just are never going to like you, are never going to get on with you. You're never going to like them. You're never going to get on with them. You might have to work with some of those people. You might have to see some of those people every day, every. Who cares? Who flipping well cares? Do you know? Have you changed your outlook as you got a little bit older? Um, do you care less about pleasing people? I couldn't care. You like to keep the people around you happy. You know? Or would you dump someone who was a constant dark cloud? You know these people that you meet them? And they're lovely people at the best of... But they're a dripping sump of negativity. They could take the sunshine out of a July day. Do you spend time with those people anymore? Do you get rid of them? 0818969696 I know, I know. Being a pain in the ass, I'm already there. I was, lads, I was there 30 years ago. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. You want the biggest hits? Well, what about a bit of real 90s? Be unreal. Other people would be like, you want to hear your song? I'm like, yes. Love it. What a tune. You got them right here. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. On Cork's 96 FM. I want new music. I want to hear that new tune. Fresh. Fresh new music. The Hit Mix with Brian McAvoy. Everything I drop is a banger. The Hit Mix. On your smart speaker. On your phone. And on your radio. Weeknights from 8. On Cork's 96 FM. Good response to Mary Jane's new philosophy. Dropping Negativity in your 40s. Lovely chat with Mary Jane, says Lisa. I'm totally going to take a leaf out of her book and shed some of the negativity in my life. Mary Jane is so right. Thanks, MJ. I'm going to do 24 out the door too. Now, for some people concerned, you could lie down and they'd still complain you're not flat enough. That's from Maeve. Right. I'm 41, says Alana. I already feel lighter, not giving as much of a feck about things as I did in my 30s. Shiona says, the oldest woman in France, PJ, was asked, what's the secret of her longevity? She was said, remove toxic people from your life. And she was 122 at the time. Between yesterday's mistakes and tomorrow's hope, there's a fantastic opportunity called today. Live it, love it. The day is yours, says Jan. Jan, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. Between yesterday's mistakes 
and tomorrow's hope, there's a fantastic opportunity called today. Live it, love it. The day is yours. There's a thing there I also said to Mary Jane, tomorrow's promised to none of us. So live for today. Teenage discos. Mike. Oh, he's gone, lads. Mike organises some of these events and wanted to come back at the comments made earlier about that there's too much alcohol at them. Um, I was speaking earlier with Paul Leonard of the National Lead for the Irish Community Action on Alcohol Network who maintains that under the new sale of alcohol legislation the government needs to crack down on teenage discos and the availability of drink and the training of people in being around children because a 12 or 13 year old is a child and if they're at a disco, they're a child at a disco. Uh, sorry, but we're having a lot of our lines dropping on us this morning. We'll see if we can get Mike back. Um, okay, okay, I'll do a couple of more bits and pieces. And then, yeah, I think we can actually go to China now. We can do that. Oh, yes. Now, I can always remember the day that Ken Tobin, my dear old friend, came in the door here to me one morning shortly after 10 with tears in his eyes to tell us that our great friend, Pat McAuliffe, had passed away. Pat had worked with RTE for many years, but worked with us all in the Pirates. And he was one of the greats, and he he died quite suddenly a number of years ago. Well, Declan Murphy, the manager of Rochestown GAA, says our former manager was Pat McAuliffe, and he was instrumental in reviving the club. He was a great man. This Saturday, we'll have the second Pat McAuliffe Memorial Gaelic football game. We had one pre-COVID. We'll hope to have it annually now, and if any, we're looking for people connected to Rochestown or to Pat to participate or to attend. Thank you for that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Oh, we can go to Mike, can we? We can. All right. Where? What? What number is he on? Names nine four. All right. Thanks very much, Mike. You're involved in organising teenage discos. Morning. Yeah, yeah. I work in the sector, uh, PJ. So I am very familiar with uh, the setup. Yeah. Now, that lady was on earlier. I think this is where misleading information comes out. I don't believe, especially in the Cork region, there's no underage or teenage discos that go into a premises where there's licensed premises available. Uh, most discos are held in community halls, sports halls, local halls. Uh, by and large, they're all held in venues like that where there's no alcohol. Like There's no premises will host a disco, especially 11-year-olds where there's alcohol available. It just doesn't happen in this world. Mm. Her, her, her point was even if it's not available even if the bar is closed that they're getting yeah, it on the way there well from my experience like I work for a very professional company we do we have uh, medical response available we have uh, duty care we have we have everybody safety officers security officers so like these discos if they're run properly which the company I work for are absolutely very professional there's never really an issue really yeah, uh, but I don't believe there's any discos held in licensed premises really where a drink is available. Doesn't happen in the real world. Yeah, if so you go to a community centre, they see this is mis- misleading information where things can get out of control here very easy, and people think that teenage discos are all alcohol, and this, that, that doesn't happen. It's just bunkum. Well, I'm from my experience, I'm very well versed in this. Yeah, I'm working in this business for quite a while, and as a safety officer, so I mean, I see this firsthand, and you know, this it, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. I was in the old disco business myself for a while and and I did a lot of the teenage stuff over the years and I I think I'd be inclined to agree with you the people who organise 
teenage disco events are exceedingly careful. Absolutely, highly responsible people because the safety and well-being of kids is paramount and that is number one, number one before anything and that is well in place. I can only speak for the Cork area uh, but it, it's certainly not a problem in Cork. So, I mean, I don't agree with anything she's saying there, to be honest. It doesn't happen. Okay, all right. Thank you for that. Thank you, or Mike. Thank you, Mike. Strong call, strong response. You can hear uh, Paula uh, later. We'll podcast that interview. Um, Mike completely disagrees with what she's saying. She said there isn't a problem with drink at teenage discos. He said it's just very well organised. We do a very good job. We organise things very, very carefully and very well. Thank you for that one, uh, Mike. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With your local credit union helping you have a wonderful Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, we want to fill your Christmas with fun and play. And the 10K Toy Giveaway is back along with your local credit union. Loads and loads of 500 euro toys shopping sprees. Free. Uh, listen to Cork's 96M after 8 o'clock, after 11 o'clock, after 2 o'clock and after 5 o'clock from next Monday, November 27th for your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. It's the Cork's 96M's 10K toy giveaway back again with your local credit union helping you have a wonderful Christmas. The winning starts next Monday morning. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. A few more responses to the teenage disco item, which, which I, if I don't get to them today, I will certainly get to them. Well, I'm not here tomorrow. Uh, Gareth is here tomorrow, but I'll certainly get to them before the end of the week. But you might have seen a story in the paper there. It was in the Examiner, actually. Kira Phelan wrote about it in the Examiner. When Michal Martin was in China recently, he was at an event at the China-Europe International Business School, meeting all the, the great and the good at the China International Business School. And the last thing that he expected was to meet a man from West Cork. Now, Pat McCarthy is a teacher originally from West Cork, who lives in the Liaoning province in China, but made his way specifically to meet Michal Martin that day to pass on a message to him. Um, he joins me now. Pat, we'll, we'll get to the meeting with Michal in, in the first place, or in, in, in a minute rather, but how does a fella, a teacher from West Cork, end up teaching English in rural China. Start with that. Good morning. Good morning um, and good evening here from uh, uh, Liaoning province in China. Thanks very much for having us on the show. Yeah, I, I'll tell you how it all started. Um, so I left uh, Ireland in uh, 2009 because we had the recession, obviously. I think we all remember that. <laughs> I got a job offer in Korea and um, as a professor in uh, Wonguang University in Iksan City. I could have drawn the doll in Ireland. Uh, I did for a few months, but um, it was quite depressing. So I had to, I had to get out of there. And anyway, there was places for us to contribute. So I went over there and I spent three years over there. And um, I met the wife. She was there for 10 years. She's Chinese. 
and she was uh, an educator in Korea as well. Okay. You, you had a really good job in Korea, professor in university. That's that's no small beans. Yeah. yeah. And you'd met, you'd met a Chinese lady, and was that what prompted you to move to China? What got you thinking about moving to China? Yeah, that's a very good question, yeah. So we, we both felt we were kind of cogs in the machine. We felt like that we could make a difference somewhere else. She was from an underdeveloped area where people have fewer opportunities and, and they're less fortunate. And w- where we were in Korea, you know, it's developed. They had everything. We felt we couldn't make a difference. So, And there was another reason. It was uh, my wife's mother, uh, my mother-in-law, I suppose. She was a, an educator herself for 30 years in these economically deprived areas in northeast China. And she helped her students during the hard times in China. She fed them and clothed them. Right. And she asked us to come back to help the students in these areas. I mean, you heard there through the speech there with Jamil Martin, I said Shanghai and Beijing are developed. Development should be equal. So so we, we headed back there. And I mean, to cut a long story short, we're a not-for-profit, like a developmental NGO, a non-political. 80% of our intake, they study for, on free scholarships, whilst those who can afford, which are the 20%. So it's like you're, you're taking from the rich who can afford it and who are also offered the same quality program. But that's funding those who can't afford it. So you're teaching yeah. English, Patrick, to youngsters who might never get to learn it otherwise. That's, you see, Shanghai and Beijing, they've got all the native English speakers and, and, and you know, from many different countries, they, they've got the pleasure of choice. Whilst down here, like, we're the only one in the town. And, you know, English is the, the key to unlocking development. This is not just me, it's my wife. We've got a I whole know. team. Uh, I mean, I'm just... Uh, trying to bring the voice to the world. Sure. And I'm and very thankful that you've given us a platform for that. Delighted yeah. to do so. And it's fantastic work that you're doing. Like in the area where you live and where you do this work, how much English would actually be spoken? The level is low. And if you go to Shanghai, I mean, everything is fantastic there and, and you know, wonderful and yeah. utopian. And How far are you from Shanghai? Shanghai, my wife actually calculated there a while ago. You don't really count when you're on trains and trekking and, it's 1,804 kilometers. <laughs> okay. That's something like the long march there. <laughs> they have the bullet trains, and but all those were cancelled on the day. So yeah. you decided to up sticks from where you are and go visit Michal Martin where he was. Why did you want to do that? And I believe you had to battle blizzards to get there. We're going through, uh, there's fierce economic turbulence and, um, you know, restrictions and... We know that we're making a difference yeah. in the lives of others. And that's why we, and many would say, why don't you go, why don't you go somewhere else? I said, you know, first of all, my family are here. We've been making a difference here. Our services are not required in the more developed areas. And I'm suffering from a chronic illness myself. And I have to provide for a family and where there's no, we don't have the privilege of a welfare system here. And uh, I'm not pointing the figure of China. This is just fact. Uh, I'm mm. very thankful to the Chinese government for giving us an opportunity to contribute. And, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm ca- calling upon the Chinese, the Irish government um, to support us because, and Michal, I mean, I, I can confirm that he's a genuine man mm-hmm. um, because he came over of his own accord over to us on the side of the stage. Mm-hmm. Come on up here, by. And I, I also said, look, any chance of a few photos there, like, in a, yeah. you know, to make a big difference. But I didn't get a chance to talk about our, thing, our, our, our problems at all. I mean, it was just... I suppose I was high in adrenaline, yeah. and the wife as well, and you know, worried about getting the pictures in, like, yeah. and waiting for them to send them on to me. But uh, 
<laughs> he said it was great to hear a voice from West Cork. Yeah, he said it was great to see a voice from West Cork. And he was going about the McCarthy's, um, how they ruled Munster. I mean, we could use that for advertising here to be great. Um, so he gave us a great idea there. <laughs> but obviously we were there for, you know, I was there to deliver a message. Because when you email the Irish government, you get an acknowledgement after six weeks. And even if, you know, so the only way was to go there physically. Yeah. You were hoping to convince yeah. him to maybe give some support to the work that you're doing. He visited the Irish Institute in Beijing Foreign Languages University, which is which is funded by the government. We're not funded by anybody, you see. You know, we haven't received anything from anybody. At best, we've been left alone. Our story is, is a story of perseverance. I suppose just like the West Cork, you know, the battle for independence, but uh, we won't go back that far now. We're not fighting for any independence. We're just looking to make a few pounds on the operations, you know. And you had a good meeting, and it, he was surprised to see you and all of that. Tell me a bit more, Patrick. When was the last time? You're, you're gone since 20, what, 2012. And when was the last time yeah. you were home? Has your, has your lovely wife seen Ireland yet? I don't think she's ever seen a Christmas in Ireland. Mm. And my son has never seen a Christmas in Ireland. How old is your son now? He's 11 years old. Yeah, he's the bridge, I call him, between China and the world. He plays the Arhu, like he can, he can play an Irish song, Danny Boy, and the Chinese violin. So, I mean, that's a very intercultural. Sure. Maybe he'll play one for you next time, but uh, when he's all set up. <laughs> Hopefully we'll do a follow-up in a few months. <laughs> yeah, he's been there 2017. That was the last time we were there. So, you know, he, he was a bit shy that time. We, we hope to get back again once things are stable, if we could stabilise everything here and see would there be any follow-up, some funding or something from the government or They've if they would just enough. give us some expertise and move, move our work forward. And I, I, I'd like to, you know, a big shout out there now to Michal Martin and Anne Derwin at the, in, in the Chinese, uh, the Irish Embassy in Beijing. I would be very honoured if they could uh, just help us out here <laughs> in an hour of need. Here's hoping it leads it, it leads to a follow-up. It's great to catch up with you, Patrick. I understand that you listen to us online in China. Yeah, yeah. Look, I've always been a fan of 96FM. It's part of my identity. I mean, from, from cash calls to, to the fugitive. I never found a fugitive, but uh, um, we're, always, we're always on the lookout. <laughs> and I mean, sure, when I was down in my grandparents' house, you were, I think you were reading news. So you're in 30 years, and so you're like a celebrity voice. So <laughs> it's great to hear... I probably called up once. You, you probably can't. You, I, I can remember you, but maybe you can't remember me. Just like me, all Martin. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, ninety-six FM is. Uh, we're absolutely delighted because you've given us a platform, a platform for the underrepresented, who have no voice, mm. and um, so this is very meaningful, and uh, we're, we're very honoured. And uh, I suppose now we just have to wait and see, and. Uh, um, it's hard to bring in expertise to these underdeveloped areas, you see. Nobody wants to come in here and make a difference. So well, that's what we're doing up here anyway. A big shout out to the McCarthy family down there in Clonakilty and Ardfield and uh, uh, my friends down in uh, Court Mac, classmates well, there. Um, well, will you do something for me? Will you say hello to all my friends back in West Cork, but will you do it in Chinese? Go on. Mama, Baba, so I just said there hello to the family and uh, I hope that I'll make it back there. Maybe we usually try to get back February because that's when they're off here for the Chinese New Year. 
sure he made a few mistakes there, but... Uh, You'll be fine. Your Chinese is an awful yeah. lot better than mine, so I have no clue what you said. I'm just hoping it was all good stuff. Patrick, a joy to catch up with you. And mind yourself, fella. Take yeah. care. All right, cheers. Thanks very much. Hopefully you do a follow-up there in uh, the weeks or months to come. You'd never Thanks know. You'd never know. Take care, Patrick. See you now. Goodbye, TJ. Cheers, fella. And my regards to all the McCarthy's of, of West Cork. <laughs> Gas man, it's no wonder he took it upon himself to turn up at that meeting thousands of miles away from where he lives. Nice one. Couple of things to catch up on before we go to do with teenage discos. My son used to go to the Revs discos in Middleton. It was really well organised. We never had an issue. He went for over four years. It was always in a venue where there was no access to alcohol. It's just such a pity that a small group can ruin things for everybody else. Just my opinion. Love listening to the show every day, says Anne. Thank you for that. And quite a response to the the whole subject of uh, underage discos and whether they should be banned because of people getting drunk in and around them. Um, the main reason Zero Zero drinks are made is to get around advertising and sponsorship bans. There's nothing stopping underage events selling non-alcoholic Guinness or Heineken or Bulmers. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you remember that during the jazz festival? There was a big zero zero truck driving around all day during the jazz festival. And someone said it was getting around the advertising laws. This woman's on a different planet. Speaking of Paula, who I was talking to about this. Teenage discos have been going on for 50 years or more. We all grew up with them. The difference is the kids today who act like that have not been reared with respect for their parents or the authorities. We'd have been afraid of our lives to be in that position for the fear of the repercussions at home. That's from Richard. I'm sure PJ remembers the Kayleeds in Colossus de Christry. Oh, so I do indeed. Stopping children dancing to music would be child abuse. It's not the solution to alcohol abuse for sure. Responsible parenting and properly supervised events are what is needed. Maybe requiring physical children to be physically signed in by an adult, maybe. Uh, take away the dancing and the fun of getting dressed up leaves only the drinking. Will bushing be the alternative? The problem is usually not the disco, but the kids outside who don't have tickets and never intended to go anyway. That's a conversation that we will, I'm sure, return to. That one there from Mary, right? That's it for today. I'm not here tomorrow. You'll remember my little adventure of a few weeks back. Um, I have to go back in tomorrow to see the doctor to make sure that everything is okay. I am absolutely certain that it will be. But I just have to go back for a little bit of follow-up. So uh, Gareth will be in tomorrow uh, to mind the shop in his inimitable style. And I shall see you on Thursday. Programme edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. All of your podcasts up ASAP. Gareth is here tomorrow and he will see you just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. Quartz 96 FM wants to fill your Christmas with fun and play. The 10K Toy Giveaway is back. We're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for free. Free. Listen to Quartz 96 FM all day long from Monday, November 27th. For your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. To win. You know Christmas. I love Christmas. Merry Christmas. Quartz 96 FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With your local credit union helping you have a wonderful Christmas.
Christmas. Listen and win from next Monday. I can't stop winning. Only on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.